Hello and welcome to the 16th episode of the Neither Here Nor There podcast. I, of course, am not Stephen Kilby. I'm Daniel Greer. What gave it away? Well, the accent, of course. But good news. With me, ladies and gentlemen, as always, is my co-host, Stephen Kilby. Stephen, are you there? I'm here. I'm here, and it's good to chat to you, mate. It's been too long. I haven't chatted as much as I'd like in the last couple of weeks, so it's I've been really looking forward to catching up. I really have. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing well, and it's it's great to hear you and to do this. It, it's been a bit, and ladies and gentlemen, we are recording this on the Friday that this will be coming out. As soon as we're done recording, I will be I will be putting this out <clears throat> for you to listen to. So this is the most fresh podcast episode you all have ever heard. Um, but it's it's going to be another great one. We appreciate everyone's continued support, and uh, we thank everybody for the feedback as always. So just keep it up, keep listening, keep keep sharing the podcast, and uh, let's get rolling, Stephen, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. What's your thoughts to open up? Uh, well, so first we have a shout out from actually my mom, and if you all remember. Last episode was slightly before Halloween, and I, I re, re, uh, recounted my mom's ghost story, and she sent us an email and uh, just to add a few corrections to the story, so I figured I would share that real quick. Um, she says, Halloween, once again, I love the podcast. You guys are two peas in a pod, so much alike. I'll clear up a little on the story. We moved to that house in early October, a small town called Chase City, Virginia, and soon thereafter things started happening. If we left the lights on, they would be off. If we left them off, they would be on. One night, I woke up and the living room light was on. I yelled to my roommate down the hall opposite the living room and asked her why it was on. She said she saw what she thought was me going down the hall. I absolutely had not left the bed. One night when I was alone watching TV, I heard glass shatter in the house. We never found it. I lived there until June, and she stayed another year. I talked to her for a few times after I moved, and she said that things continued to happen. So there's a bit more information to that story that I told last time that I figured I would share, even though we're now post-Halloween. How was Halloween? Did you enjoy it? Um, it, it was okay. It was kind of a letdown this year, to be honest. Um it was on a Tuesday night, and I was just in the middle of a work week, and I didn't really do anything um, for it, you know. I just had, I guess, some scary movies on and was just hanging out by myself, so that that was okay, of course. But um, I'm looking forward to Halloween next year. I think it's going to be on a Thursday, so that will be probably a little bit better. Mm. Um, and Mom also submitted a top three, bottom three, which we'll do – uh, on the next episode, because we're going to actually do your dad's top three, bottom three today. So, Mom, I know you're going to listen to this. We'll we'll do your top three and bottom three ways to spend spare time, which will be a really good one. We'll do that um, on the next episode, So, which will actually be the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday. So um, that'll be good. Mm. Uh, let's see. Is it fact of the fortnight time for me or for you? I've got a fact of the fortnight. What's your fact of the fortnight, so, my friend? So, um, I stumbled across an article um, on Reddit, I think it was, um, discussing the sort of spread that Coca-Cola has in the world in terms of its global dominance. 
and I had no idea about this, but did you know that there's only three places in the world that you can't buy Coca-Cola country-wise? Three did countries. you know this? Um, no, but I, I can venture to guess what three those would be. So that's the quiz. Can you guess? I'll give you six guesses to guess the three countries where you can't buy Coca-Cola. Okay. All right. Well, the first... I think you're going to nail this. I think well, you're going to nail it. Without a doubt, North Korea. Correct. One out of three. Um, I would say other than that, maybe uh, Cuba because of the embargo. Correct. Two out of two. And then third would be Iran. Incorrect. Ah, okay. Well, I'm two for three, and I've got, what, three more guesses? Um, Yemen? No, incorrect. Okay, can you give me a hint, like geographically? It's closer to me than you. <laughs> well, that's most of the countries in the world, honestly. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe Russia because of... Western, Very good. Yeah, yeah. Western sanctions since the war. Um, so Russia, Russia, our, uh, Cuba, and uh, North Korea. Makes sense. All lovely places. Ladies and gentlemen, mm. don't go to any of those places. Um, not only can you not get a Coca-Cola, you'll probably also never come back. Uh, which we would hate to lose any of our podcast listeners for sure. Mm. One of the interesting things though in this article that I was reading is, so you can't buy Coke in Cuba, but Cuba does have a history with Coke. And that is that um, Cuba was one of the first free countries outside of the US to start bottling Coke in 1906. And they carried on selling it and bottling it principally for, um, you know, exports until Castro rocked up in the 60s. That makes so perfect it, sense. So it did exist at one time. Well, you have to think about the history of Cuba to put that into perspective. You know, when uh, the the Spanish-American War occurred in the 1890s, the United States basically gained possession of what was left of the Spanish Empire, which notably was Puerto Rico, which is still a United States territory, the Philippines, which gained its independence from the United States after World War II, and then Cuba. And that, I believe if, if my own brain recalls this correctly, without any, any knowledge, the United States government uh, gave the people of Cuba and the people of Puerto Rico uh, the option of a referendum. And the Puerto Ricans voted to remain or voted to be part of the United States uh, as a territory. Um, and then Cuba voted for independence. And of course, in the, in that day and age, you know, the independence basically meant that it was a independent country influenced by the United States. Um, so, you know, Cuba was, of course, a United States protectorate almost, I guess you would say. And, mm. you know, it, it, Cuba is a tragedy um, because and Castro, of course, was a tragedy and the continued oppression of those people in Cuba is a tragedy. And uh, it's, it's very sad because Cuba is, was one time known as the Pearl of the Antilles. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful islands in the Caribbean. And it's an island with resources and history, and it's a big island too. And of course, it's only 90 miles off of Key West, the, the furthest southern point of the continental United States. You know, 90 miles away is Cuba, but yet Americans can't really go there to this day. You know, it's you really 
can't go there because of our relations with the communist regime that's in power there. Um, and But before that, you know, it was the playground of the rich. Like for the first 50 or more years of the 20th century, it's where all the wealthy Americans went <clears throat> and lived and had homes and went to the beach. I think, you know, Ernest Hemingway, the famous writer, he had a house in Key West, but he spent a lot of time in Cuba fishing and that sort of thing. So it's, um, it's interesting to look at Cuban history along with American history, but um, mm. I'm guessing you, you actually learn quite a bit about it um, at school. Is it taught because of, because of the kind of history between the U S and Cuba and, um, and the sort of breakdown of relations. Do you, do you spend a lot of time on Cuba or is it the opposite where they just try and kind of almost pretend it doesn't exist? No, I mean, it's a part of U.S. history, like with the Bay of Pigs invasion in the early 60s mm. and the, fail the failure of that to overthrow Castro. And I mean, you know, interestingly enough, there there are a lot of Cuban-Americans, very prominent. It's a very prominent minority group, Cuban-Americans, uh, you know, in Miami and South Florida. And Cuban-Americans are very pro-democracy um, and for the most part, very pro-capitalist because they came from a communist regime and they they they're very anti-communist and they hate they hate um the government there uh for the right reasons i mean it's you know just a year or two ago there was a massive uprising in cuba that almost overthrew the cuban government and that happens periodically and then unfortunately it's to this day at this at the time of this recording it's always been oppressed um mm. so so it's it's interesting actually my neighbor uh, on the floor below me he's cuban and he i think he grew up in miami but he's cuban and i've talked to him a few times you know and i think he still has family in cuba as well um but mm. i find it interesting and that was a great fact of the fortnight because it opened up a whole discussion um before we get to any other discussions <laughs> as always right that's no, cool it's cool exactly <laughs> exactly so uh so what else has been on your mind well, um, my grandmother is about to turn 80, and she texts now, so it's kind of cool to get text messages from my grandma. Um, wow. I know, right? And um, To learn it at 80 is actually pretty darn impressive. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, I think she's got an Android, and uh, she'll, she'll text me every now and then, and I think my sister's been sending her pictures of my niece, so she's enjoyed that, but that's... That's really cool. Um, but the, I guess the main thing on my mind is, of course, you've come back from the Middle East, and I know you're going to talk about that. I am in two hours' time leaving for the Middle West, the, the Midwest. Um, I'll be in Missouri by tonight. I am going to see the one true love of my life, the Tennessee Volunteers football team, um hey what about me well well you know you, you always play second fiddle <laughs> oh, yeah, thanks i feel honored you definitely don't let me down as much as they do to be fair <laughs> but well, that's not hard the bar's pretty darn low isn't it yeah well it's, it's gotten it, the bar's been raised the past couple of years but uh one of my friends and i from college we planned this trip back in september and when we bought the tickets to this game, um, the tickets were cheap because Missouri was not supposed to be any good this year. However, it's 
November 10th, Missouri's ranked 14th, Tennessee's ranked 13th in college football. And it's a top 15 matchup. So tomorrow it's the 3.30 Eastern time CBS game. It's nationally broadcasted. But cool enough, we we got 50-yard line seats on the Tennessee side, 11 rows up. So if you're watching tomorrow, there's a good chance you're probably going to see me because that's right where the camera usually pans to show the crowd. So look out for me tomorrow. I'll be wearing my orange and white overalls as I do at Tennessee games. <laughs> and I've got my backpack and I'm ready to go to the airport. Yeah, we're, we're flying. Uh, my, my friend Matt's flying from Knoxville to Charlotte and then we're meeting here in the airport and then we're flying to St. Louis and renting a car and driving to Columbia, Missouri, which is uh, by all accounts not the <clears throat> uh, not a sprawling metropolis. You know, I've never been to Missouri, never had a reason to go. This may be the only time I ever go to Missouri, but I'm going for the for a good reason, and I'm looking forward to it. And that's been that's been on my mind. I'm excited. It's a it's going to be a 48 hour trip or less. Um, I took a half day off of work today. And we're squeezing in this podcast, of course. And then I'll be back late Sunday night. But I think Sunday we should have some time to see a little bit of St. Louis, which will be great because St. Louis actually has one of the most notable um, monuments in America. It has the Gateway Arch, which uh, signifies it being the gateway to the American West. You know, it's the big the big arch. I think you can actually go up in it, but it's it's the arch on the Mississippi River. You know, e- east of the Mississippi is traditionally the eastern United States, um, and then the west, uh, west of the Mississippi is the beginning of the American West, so to speak. So um, it's going to be interesting um, for sure. It'll be a fun memory filled trip. Matt and I went to Pittsburgh last year to see Tennessee. That was fun. And then this will be fun too. So I'm sure next time we record, I'll have some, uh, some updates on that. And then uh, you know, how the trip went and that sort of thing. But yeah, I'm excited. Hopefully, mm, hopefully, hopefully you can watch it tomorrow. Well, depends i mean it's a cbs game which means it's not going to be on the espn website is that correct if it's cbs it's probably not going to be no um, in which case i'll have to watch it on sunday i would imagine so not live yeah you'll have to watch it on youtube afterwards which shout out to um that guy on youtube that puts the full game up. freak yeah it's vol freak the same guy in vol nation he uh he puts the full game up within minutes of it being over. So really there's not too much of a lapse for you to, to get caught up and you can, you know, you can watch it much faster than I can. I mean, shoot, it's going to be a four and a half hour game because it's on CBS with as many commercials as there are. Mm. But that would be awesome. I look forward to, well, if you do get some time and um, to sort of see the sights a little bit, that'd be really good to bring to the podcast next time. Definitely. Yeah. Take a few, take a few picks and, uh, you know, it's a big baseball thing. town, isn't it? It's a big Sorry. baseball town. It's a, it's a big beer town. You know, that's where Anheuser Busch is headquartered. It's uh, St. Louis is heavily influenced by German Americans, hence the beer, um, uh, the the beer history there. And then it's also that Kansas City's barbecue. But St. Louis, you know, St. Louis used to be one of the biggest cities in America. It's kind of gone downhill 
and <clears throat> it's not one of the safer cities in America anymore, unfortunately, but there's a lot of history there. Like you said, it's a baseball town, which it's not baseball season now, and the Cardinals were terrible this year. Um, and then what what else is there, uh, St. Louis? Well, I guess it was founded by the French, actually. Did you know that? I didn't know. Yeah, so like when France had their North American empire, which they, of course, lost to the British after the Seven Years' War, which we call the French and Indian War in the 1750s and 60s, St. Louis was was founded by the French. Um, you know, the French basically had an empire spanning from Louisiana at the Gulf of Mexico and at the end of the Mississippi River all the way up through the Mississippi Delta. St. Louis, it's about halfway along the Mississippi River, I guess, and then on up into like the Great Lakes, Detroit. Detroit's a French city too, and then on up into Canada, like Quebec and um, Montreal were French cities to the St. Lawrence River. So they had this like large swath of an empire, many, many, many times the size of the actual country of France. Um, and it was never really populated too well, um, other than maybe like French Canada and New Orleans. Uh, you know, most of it was still like Native American land. And then there were trappers and fur traders and that sort of thing that that lived there. And then, of course, the British took it. And then the uh, the British lost the... What do you mean, of course? <laughs> that... How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> well, the British do seem to take things. But then we uh, we took it for ourselves after we gained our we independence it. from Britain. And uh, then, of course, we bought more of, of that from, from Napoleon, who, uh, who uh, got it back after the American Revolution. I think it kind of went back and forth. But, um, yeah, interesting. And then, speaking of Napoleon, movie this month. Can't wait for that. Oh, yeah, that's a podcast when that comes out. That is a podcast. It's going to be epic. It's going to be epic. I, oh, think, man. I, think my, I think we're going to watch it over Thanksgiving. Um, but enough, nice. enough of this. What, what's, your, what's your thought to open up with? Um, I'll just put one word, which is Zodiac. And I because, so, so, I missed, so I missed Halloween. Yeah. Um, because I was away <clears> working, so I didn't really get that experience of watching horror movies and, and getting immersed in it as much as I'd like. Um, so I watched two, I, you know, from, which is quite rare for me. I watched two films on the plane to uh, the Middle East. And normally I don't ever watch films, but for some reason I fancied it on the way there. I watched a horror film to start off with called Like Dogs, and it was not very good. And uh, it was interest. It was an interesting film for about half an hour, 45 minutes, but basically the premise of this film was um, it starts off with a woman getting kidnapped and she's basically, she wakes up in this holding facility where they're conducting experiments on humans to see what would happen if they treat them like animals. So she gets treated basically like a dog, as the, um, the title of the movie suggests, um, and it just stems from there as to what's going on, you know, why she's there, who's running it that's kind of the whole premise of the movie um and for about 40 minutes it's really good and it's really interesting because you're kind of captivated so where's this going to go um you know who's at play here you know what you know is it going to be quite gory because it's an 18 but it wasn't particularly violent um, but it just kind of got really stupid and hammy 
Uh, it's very clear done on a low budget, and I was very disappointed by the end. So I finished watching that, um, and then thought, right, I'm gonna. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna have a scroll through some random films and pick something that I've never heard of before. And the film Zodiac came up on the um, in-flight entertainment. Have you seen the film Zodiac? No. Is it about the Zodiac killer? It is about the Zodiac killer, and I missed it. Um, when it came round the first time. But, so I put it on. It's a long film. It's a three-hour film, pretty much. Um, it's a David Fincher film. I'm a big fan of Fincher. And that's kind of what drew me in. But it's got an amazing cast with, like, Jake Gyllenhaal, R- Mark Ruffalo, Robert Downey Jr.'s in it. It's a really good cast. So I was like, okay, I'll give this a go. I don't know anything about it. I didn't really even read the blurb. I just went for it because I saw the poster and thought, ah, oh, it's a Fincher film. I'll, I'll watch it. And to say I was blown away by this film was would be an understatement. I think it's one of the best films I've watched in a long time. It's absolutely superb. For a film that's so long, I'm not usually a fan of really long films unless they're amazing. Um, it was just, it had me gripped from scene one onwards. Really good film about the Zodiac Killer um, in San Francisco and if you don't know anything about it, it doesn't matter. So I don't know anything about the Zodiac Killer, um, really. But you don't need to have that much background knowledge to watch it, which means it's kind of good for anybody to to sort of go ahead without any prior knowledge. But it's basically, it follows the story of the press and the people involved in the San Francisco Chronicle trying to track down who it was. And the other side of it is the detectives. And it and it's, um, yeah, it covers multiple years but it's so good, Daniel. You would love it. You would really love it. It's, it's a slow burn in places, but so captivating. Acting is so good. And it leaves you on a really interesting note for the end of it. And I just thought, I've got to mention this film because if anyone's looking for a film I don't, and I don't know what to watch, if you've not seen Zodiac, I was completely blown away for a film that I'd never really heard of. Um, yeah, it really is. It, it's probably one of, the, one of the best detective films I've ever seen. Maybe the best detective film. It's quite. It's very grounded. It's very realistic. And apparently, I was reading afterwards, the actual people involved in trying to solve the case um, consulted with uh, David Fincher and tried to help him make it as realistic as possible. Um, but it's so it's 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 really well researched and the detail and it's amazing. And because it takes place in like the sixties and seventies mainly. Um, it's that time period I just find really interesting and they absolutely nail the time period with, you know, the sets and just the, I just always find it really interesting when you watch a really good period uh, drama that's based in a time period and they put a lot of effort into making everything seem perfectly as it was at the time. And there's no, there's nothing that breaks the immersion by, you know, cars being the wrong age or the wrong technology. It's really, really good. So hundred percent, Go and watch it. It's a classic one for a plane. If you if you want to watch something on a plane, Daniel, it is really good. It's not like a big action film. There's not much. There's a bits of action, and when there is action, it's really intense. But most of it's talking, and so it's perfect film for a plane because I don't feel like I missed out on not seeing it on a bigger screen. Um, so yeah, that's my opening thoughts. Because since watching that, I've been like reading about it, and I listened to a couple of podcasts with people sort of break it down and stuff like that because I was like this is really interesting because um I, yeah as I say I didn't really know anything about the Zodiac Killer um you know historically so that's my opening thoughts 
Well, go and watch Zodiac. Well, you know the the they never found the killer, but he's actually a, a sitting U.S. senator. Okay. Did you know that? No, nah, it's a <clears throat> a couple years ago there was a meme going around the internet that uh, Ted Cruz, who's a senator from Texas, um, ran for president in 2016, was the Zodiac killer because he looks like the uh, sketch drawings of the Zodiac killer. And okay. And actually, funnily enough, like he actually kind of played into the joke one time. You know, like, I guess because he just had, had been made aware of it. And it was actually kind of funny, you know, to see him, like, respond mm. to people saying he was the Zodiac killer. He, he did it very, you know, very amicably. Um, I can't remember how that went down. But that that's literally all I know about it is, you know, they never found the guy. And somebody joked and said it looked like Ted Cruz. So, Well, it does focus on a handful of suspects, um, as these sort of films always do. But the really interesting thing about it is because it's a case that wasn't solved, um, it leaves you with that cliffhanger. But it's really poignantly done, and it tries to point you in the direction of a couple of things, and it, it makes you think. And it, and it leaves you to, to sort of try and work out who you think it was as well. And I'm much like you know, the actual detectives at the time would just spent years and years trying to work it out and couldn't, couldn't do it. Um, but that's kind of why it's such a good film because it it doesn't have that closure and that leaves that leaves you in a in a really interesting place by the end of it um and but the thing is i would say because i had no idea anything about this at all the any ending would have been interesting because i had no idea they never found him or never actually convicted anyone they found people they believed it was but they never convicted anybody nobody actually got you know taken to jail for anything so um yeah, it's it's certainly an interesting story, um, and it's told really well in this. Yeah, that that really is well. interesting, um, and haunting that they never found the guy. But um, mm. yeah, I'll so, check that one out. I'm sure there's some good books on it too. Mm. Yeah, it did make me think. Oh, I must read a book on it. But then I looked at my Goodreads list and thought, do you know what? Focus, Stephen. Focus. Let's not, let's not get distracted <laughs> from the task at hand. You've got a 950-page Stephen King book to read, and you're only 40% through it. Focus. So Is that focus. needful things? Yeah. I'm like 400 pages in now. <laughs> you're getting there. Well, see, the so, good thing about the long Stephen King books is usually once you pass the halfway mark, it starts into a crescendo, and you just fly through the end of it. Yeah, it's starting to build up a bit. The, the, the one criticism I have of it so far is because it covers so many different characters and it goes backwards and forwards between the characters a lot of the time you'll like you'll go like 40 pages or 30 pages focusing on one character and then all of a sudden the chapter will change or like it will it'll, there'll be a break in the chapter and it will immediately cut to another part of the story and i imagine it's in a similar vein to game of thrones i feel like I, half the time i'm spending off trying to remember who these people are yeah, I was going to say, if you think that's a pain in the butt, read the Game of Thrones books. Cause yeah, no chance. There's literally <laughs> entire books where point of view characters aren't mentioned. Um, you know, so yeah, that and then Will of Time's a, a similar thing, but I'm, I'm trying to focus on what I'm reading too. Um, trying to whittle down what I've already started so I can keep churning towards um, whatever else I have um on my mm. list so i know the pain 
yeah well it's a it's an it's a lifelong pain isn't it so so yeah what's your topic for for the week daniel what's your main topic favorite guilty pleasure restaurants and food which i think nice. was probably one that you wrote out um at one time sounds like a me topic yep i, I didn't want to <laughs> say it but uh, it does sound like a you topic um so yeah uh <clears throat> i guess like i would say my mom's and then before her, her mother's, my grandmother's homemade biscuits and gravy, um, which you, you've had my mom's before. Uh, there's nothing like good homemade biscuits and gravy with sausage and eggs for breakfast. Uh, it's a great southern meal, and it's, uh, it's awesome um, to eat. Not very good for you, but, um, hmm. you know, there's nothing like waking up on a weekend morning when I'm back home or whatever and having biscuits and gravy. Yeah, that's definitely the first thing that comes to mind when I think of like comfort, guilty pleasure, food. Um, and, you know, I think about also, I mentioned my grandmother. I think about uh, this is my other grandmother, not my one that texts now. Uh, that's my one living grandparent. But my mom's parents, like I used to go stay at their house a lot um, when I was like, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. And, uh, my, those grandparents would, they were older than my dad's parents and they would get up, um, super early in the morning because my grandfather was retired from the railroad. And so he was used to getting up at like four o'clock in the morning to go to work. And so they would get up at like, I don't know, four thirty five in the morning and eat breakfast. (laughs) And I mean, you remember that age when you were like, you know, going through puberty and whatever, and you just wanted to sleep till noon every day. And I remember they would like rouse me from bed at like 530 in the morning. And, you know, my grandpa would come into the room and shake my leg or something and say, hey, mamma's got breakfast ready. Come, come eat. And um, I'd be like, like, it's still dark outside. Like, what's going on? (laughs) And so I just remember like stumbling, you know, through their house, like in my pajamas, half asleep and then sitting down at their table and, you know, middle of early morning and eating this breakfast. And it was always so good, you know, just like homemade everything. And then they, they had like a lot of vegetables and stuff from their garden and very, very good food. And then I would usually at that age, I would usually eat and then just go straight back to bed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I, I think about that, you know, like those memories when I think about just gravy and biscuits and how how much of a pleasure it is to eat and it's mm. not something you can get in the uk unfortunately no no you really can't and if you can it's it's never going to be as good but then that's um, that's a sign of a good good cuisine something that you need to be in the place to have you know have something that you can really pass off as the real thing yeah yeah i mean and I, the ingredients are pretty easy to make um, you know, you can definitely buy the ingredients and do it in the UK, but it, it's one of those things that just takes practice. Um, I guess like another kind of opposite end of the spectrum thing that I like to do food wise is Indian food. Um, we actually had a Diwali celebration at work the other day and we had like some homemade Indian food. There's a couple Indian people in the office and, they made like samosas and a curry dish and paneer, which is like the fried cheese. And then they had like fried onions too. And it had been a while since I'd had Indian food, but that reminded me of how much I love it. And, 
you know, there's like nothing like going to a good Indian restaurant. Um, and it seems like every Indian restaurant for the most part is like, you know, your white tablecloth, like nice sit down place to eat and just getting like a big meal and getting um, non bread and uh, Papa Dom's and then like onion chutney and then Taj Mahal beer. And I don't know, it's just sort of an experience to go to an Indian place. And I, I do, I do love Indian food. And a lot of that comes from me being over in the UK, you know, as we talk about mm-hmm. all the time, just cause there's a, um, there's an embarrassment of riches when it comes to Indian cuisine in the UK. And, you know, every street corner, it seems has an Indian restaurant and all of them are good for the most part, which actually kind of reminds me of a funny story about us. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't think that we've told this one before, but um, I'll go ahead and share because why not? Um, so a couple years ago, uh, the three of us, me, you, and your dad, of course, were um, in Leicester, England, to watch England versus Switzerland play a friendly in soccer. And the game let out at, I guess it was probably like, what, 10 o'clock at night or something, right? And we start walking up the high street, the main street in Leicester. And Leicester's like, what, Leicester has a big Indian population, right? Like, it's a very kind of like, it's a multicultural city, but a heavy Indian population. Um, probably a place that's known for its Indian food. And, well, you know, we're walking up the high street, and our first thought was Pizza Hut for, for whatever reason. And I remember we got to Pizza Hut, and they would, like, they had just closed. And so we're like, well, no Pizza Hut, then darn. And then we keep walking, and, like, all these, like, places are closing, and it's, like, everywhere's closing their doors. And finally we find this Indian place still open they're like waving us to go inside and we sit down at like this table and i remember that they just kept on bringing your dad food um you know like you and i ordered something and we were eating but then they just kept on bringing your dad like plates and plates of food (laughs) and he just kept eating it like he didn't stop and he's like i don't know what to do they keep on bringing me the food they're they're trying to clear out the kitchen i guess and they keep on bringing me the all the food (laughs) And I remember, <laughs> I remember I had to go. To the it's bathroom. the toilet. It's the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I had to go to the bathroom to, to pee, not, not to do the other thing for those of you listening. Um, even though Indian food does make you do that. Um, I had to pee. And so I go to like this bathroom and it's like way back, you know, near the kitchen, this tiny little bathroom. And, the door's locked, and I'm just sitting there thinking, great. Well, a couple seconds later, this big British guy, like probably mine and your age, probably 300 pounds, comes like waddling out of the bathroom, and he, he's wearing like like a Pokemon shirt. He's got like a neck beard. He's got like long stringy hair and glasses. He looks like the World of Warcraft player uh, from the South Park episode, the guy that's like the best World of Warcraft player ever in that episode and all he can say to me as he's waddling past me is mate i'm sorry i'm sorry mate sorry about that and i'm like what's he sorry about and then this like wave just hit me and i'm like oh oh i know what he's sorry about now oh my god (laughs) 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 i had to go so i had to go but i just remember in that that bathroom there was like no ac because it was 
freaking Europe as usual. No AC, and it's just like hot and steamy and smelly. And I'm just like, oh God, like, why am I here right now? Why am I here? <laughs> why? Why? Pretty much. But it, anyways, other than that, you know, Indian food has always been good to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Save the okay. children. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm just, sorry, mate. I'm sorry, mate. I, I just I couldn't help it, mate. I just, oh, the, the, curry, <laughs> the curry got to me. <laughs> and I'm just like, God, this guy, like, oh, I hope that guy's doing okay. Hopefully, Hopefully he's still alive somewhere and making better <laughs> dietary decisions. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Maybe he listens to the podcast. <laughs> well, uh, the change tune back, you know, I can't help but think of favorite places uh, without thinking about pals, which, uh, you know, pals because of me, but so, and I've told everybody that will ever listen about how good pals is and how much I love it. Pals is a local fast food chain to where I'm from, the Tri-Cities, um, and it's it's awesome. It's been around for decades. There's only about 15 locations. It's still privately owned. It's not franchised. They're very selective about where they build their locations, and it's a very basic menu, hamburgers, hot dogs, milkshakes, and it's drive through only. The people that work there are always clean cut and very friendly the service is always quick it's cheap it's good and actually like harvard business school a couple years ago wrote an article on their business model um so it's it's very renowned pals is um which is just impressive in itself that harvard would write about their business operations um and pals is so distinct because almost every single one is a big blue building with a giant hamburger, hot dog, fries, and a drink on the outside. And to me, and they're all very colorful, and to me, that's just one of the most brilliant marketing tools of any restaurant because, you know, if you're driving down the road and you see this big blue building with all these, like, items of fast food on the outside, of course you're going to be like, man, I'm going to eat there. That place looks great. (laughs) <laughs> and i love it yeah and it's it's just something about like their mayonnaise is good everything's good there but um absolutely love pals and <clears throat> it was a pleasure to share that with you you know your first time you tried it and i know every time you've been back we've had it so um oh and it will happen again my friend it will happen again it will happen again and uh you know, it, it's. I, I don't really remember eating it as much growing up, but it's like ever since college and since I moved away from home, it's been even more special. Um, and the last thing, and this will harken back to an earlier episode, uh, because of your hatred towards such place, apparently, is a cookout late at night. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hate cookout, it's just terrible. It's just terrible. <laughs> Cookout's great. Cookout's open till two in the morning. It's cheap. It's fried. It's good. It's perfect after a night out. Um, and it's a guilty pleasure. Although I've not had cookout in a long time for probably for the better, um, for the better. But those are just some few, those are a few 
places and meals that I think about when I think of this topic. And you didn't write anything down, but I want to hear what oh, you... I don't, I don't need to write stuff down. I have it all <laughs> up in my brain, my friend. Oh, I'm sure. You come, I... into, you come to me with, with the guilty pleasure food topic, and you think I need to write it down? You think I'm funny, <laughs> like I'm a clown? Okay, Marlon Brando. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, where'd you start with this? In terms of like homemade food, that's a guilty pleasure for me. Um, my grandma always used to make um, a, a meal called pasta penne, which was like like a really cheesy pasta bake with bacon and basil and um, oh man, just so cheesy. And so that the kind of weird recipe for that that kind of evolved over the years got passed down to my mom, who now makes it for me occasionally. And uh, I could just eat; I could genuinely could eat buckets of it. It's so good when it's made just right. Um, but beyond that, like I just thought I'm a, I'm really a big pizza guy. You know, I'm a big pizza guy. I love pizzas. Pizza um, the hut. Yeah, exactly. And I don't generally find myself picky about where i have it i really like some of the chain ones over here i think are a lot better than they are in the states correct me if i'm wrong daniel but places like domino's and pizza hut over here (laughs) are just significant like they're just there's more flavor and taste to them they're still terrible in terms of like the million calories a slice but i do have a guilty pleasure i love a domino's pizza I really do even though it always upsets my upsets my stomach it all i always you know regret it but at the time, there's just nothing like it on a night when you're just like, oh, I can't be asked to do anything else. So just, just let's just order a pizza in. So that comes into mind. And in terms of like out in the states, love my Chick Fil A. Like, oh, yeah. big Chick Fil A guy. Portillo's in Chicago for me is just out of this world as well. The Italian beef sandwich and Portillo's, that's a guilty pleasure food because that I don't even want to know what's in that. But it's so good. Um, and oh man. Oh boy. Um if we're next year for my thirtieth when I'm in the States, um, if we end up in, in the Midwest, um, we're going to Portillo's, my friend. And I'm gonna get you the ultimate order of a proper <laughs> Portillo's hot dog with the mustard on its own, um, a chocolate cake shake, a talon beef sandwich, and some fries. Oh That's my god. True. What oh, I've got- what a lunch. I've already gotten diabetes just listening to you read it off. Oh, man. Oh, but it's damn good. It's so good. So, so yeah, that's 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 where I am on the good pleasure stuff. I love Buffalo Wild Wings. Like, for me, like, I know there are a lot of wing places that I think you, you prefer, and I've, I've been to a couple of them, and, yes, there are plenty of really good wing places in the States, but it's the experience of going to Buffalo Wild Wings that sort of gets it to me, just like just all the screens and just ordering loads of sides and the wings keep coming and the beer's good. And like when we were watching the college football games last, last year in Buffalo Wild Wings, while Carolyn and uh, your mum were um, out shopping, I think it was. And we just sat around watching college football and eating chicken wings. Damn, it was good. That's oh. part of the experience. It's the, oh, it's the so uh, ambiance of Buffalo Wild yes. Wings. Indeed. Indeed. So that's where I am on, on good pleasure foods and, and restaurants and stuff it's just there's too much of it that's the problem it's too accessible yeah it is it is and 
I wish like places like Pizza Hut were better than, or, or I wish they were good like they used to be. But I mean, Pizza Hut's still good in the UK, and you know, I remember after that Tottenham game earlier this year, we got back to the Airbnb and we ordered like Domino's or Papa John's and you know, potato wedges and a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream, which I have a picture of you eating out of the pint of ice cream. It's actually your contact picture on my phone. <laughs> Lovely. Lovely. <laughs> and it's it's so much better. That was the last time I had Domino's or Papa John's was with you. I just don't eat it here. It's I think it's got to be because our food standards are much more strict. And it's the same with it fizzy is. drinks and stuff. It's like, real food because, and real sugar Because and... in America, they can get away with anything, so they just load it all up a lot well, of the, the time. Well, the cheapest these companies. crap. Yeah, and I mean, the, the problem is, like, the United States grows, like, enough corn to feed the world ten times over. And so the reason why they started putting high fructose corn syrup in our food and drinks is because there's just such an excess of it, so therefore it's cheaper than sugar cane. And high fructose corn syrup is actually addictive, and it's a lot worse for you than just pure sugar cane and mm. it and uh that's you know led to the obesity epidemic in america uh, along with other things and just our sedentary lifestyle and reliance on motor vehicles and that sort of thing and not non-walkable cities and towns um you know which is completely different from europe but yeah the food standards are way worse here i mean i never ate and drank as bad as i did the five months i was in the uk and but i was never skinnier because <clears throat> the food standards were better and i walked everywhere five ten miles a day and yeah i mean I, it was nice you really have to watch yourself over here um for sure but that doesn't mean you can't occasionally good how <coughs> burger or chick-fil-a chicken sandwich oh exactly exactly um, well, let's hear about Bahrain, Stephen. That's yeah, topic, I thought this right? would be a yeah, I thought this would be a, an interesting topic to bring to the table because it's a place that you've not been to. So I imagine <laughs> that you're not as well versed in as you are about pretty much everything else in terms of history in the world, or it could be wrong. But I don't feel like many people know much about Bahrain. But I've, I'm one of probably a handful of people on the planet that have been about eight times now. Like I've been so many times over the years with work of the circuit there and um yeah it's it was an interesting experience so i went this year time since november 2019 um uh, because i've obviously changed jobs a couple of times and now back doing what i used to do. and and so it's now an annual occurrence for me again to go to bahrain because it's always usually the season finale for the main championship that i cover um and so it was really interesting going back there after like a few years away, just to see how different it is, because that part of the world is still so up and coming, and it changes so frequently that you know you can go to you know countless other places on the planet, decade after decade, and not a lot changes. Like if you go to Central Rome, Central Rome is Central Rome. It's the same in 2006 as it will be in you know 2036. You know, you can London's the sort of place that will changes quite a lot in terms of what's there, but the, and the skyline is growing, but it doesn't feel like it drastically moves on quickly. And I right. guess that's the same with most of these places that have heritage, um, that have a steady population, that have, um, you know, culture and tradition that's lasted for so long. They don't change or, as much. 
Think about small towns too, you know, I mean, yeah. small towns don't yeah. change much, whether it's England or the United States, it's generally the same buildings and churches that were there decades ago. Yeah. And it's, but it's a completely different, you know, completely different universe in the Middle East. Um, and I've been to Oman, I've been to UAE, I've been to Bahrain. Um, unfortunately, we're going to Qatar next March for the first time. Which would be interesting. Um, Great. A race I don't particularly, or not particularly fascinated by. Um, but yeah, I'm, it's a part of the world that is very intriguing to go to, um, especially you know if you're not looking to just go out there just for sunshine and desperate to get some winter sun, like a lot of people use it as a holiday destination. But a place like Bahrain, just the amount of progress so fast in a place like that is just so interesting to see because and it's a bit like that in China in a way because they're putting so much money into infrastructure and improving transport and improving literally everything in certain parts of a place like China that that changes quite frequently but Bahrain when when the company that I work for first went there in 2004 for the first ever race meeting that was held in um, in Bahrain it was pretty much an airport a handful of places a few big buildings load of residential area and one long road that led to the circuit because it's only a very small island it's only, i think it's slightly slightly larger than singapore um and it's it's not very big it doesn't have pretty much any heritage aside from it being a massive oil export and it was it was briefly a it, i think the portuguese ruled over it in the sort of 16th century but it's effectively desert and not a lot not a lot there until it became a massive oil export so all it's of a sudden it's exploding right yeah exactly and, and, and it's it's on its own but it has now a big highway that that links it up to directly to saudi arabia you go on the causeway and and the borders on the causeway and you can drive <clears> in a couple of hours to saudi arabia from from the coast <clears throat> so because it's got so much money and it's all come in so quick um the amount of places that just have come out of nowhere in a place like that is just it's madness it's just such a strange place like i think you know i i count like oh well, i can pretty lost count once once i got out of the new airport um which is a brand new terminal which i think opened during covid which is like this absolute palace of a place and you drive out from the high car place and there's a few bits sort of familiar but I'm driving to the hotel and I'm thinking there's genuinely, it feels like there are almost twice as many skyscrapers as there were four years ago. It's all of a sudden, it's like a game of Sim City, where it's just everywhere you look, there's another building popping up and another residential area and another hotel and another casino and another, um, you know, another a massive, you know, financial district or something. It's just flying. And you, and you begin to think, how long can something like this last? You know, at some point, unless they can really make it a tourist attraction, um, one, when the oil money, you know, doesn't give them this amount of spending power in the future, what earth is this place going to be like? Because it just it has such a young population and there's so many expats who are living out there because of its financial services and stuff like that. But it's it's just a really interesting culture to sort of experience because it's just those sort of places are kind of unlike any, anything we're used to in the West. 
And I can't imagine what it's like to grow up in a place like Bahrain because there's just nothing there. It's it's just it's like you know it looks a bit like Tatooine if you squint your eyes. It's got loads of high rise hotels, you know, a few resorts and stuff like that. It's got a racetrack. It's got a Portuguese fort. Um, there's an American and, military know, base there too, I think. Yep, there's a massive military base, a Bahraini one as well. Um, there's a the Tree of Life, um, and then. That's basically it, aside from the airport. There really is nothing else to do. But it's but this is odd mishmash of a place because of its location. Um, you're there and, you know, on a f- their working week's different to ours. It runs until Saturday. So um, the week starts on, on Sunday out there, which means on Thursday, Friday and Saturday are the days that people really go out and do stuff. But it's interesting because you've got you've got that really easy access to a place like Saudi Arabia, which, you know, in terms of rules and regulations and way of life, is far more of a strict place. Bahrain's a bit more of a playboy island. There aren't as many rules. It's a bit more of a liberal part of the Middle East, and so you get bundles of people driving across the across the causeway um, from Saudi Arabia on like a Friday night and a Saturday night to like go to restaurants and bars and stuff like that. And the place just gets filled up with people from Saudi Arabia who just go for one night, have a few beers and then go home basically. So it's, it's, it's a really odd place. So a um, few, few questions. Um, go, we'll go ahead and finish, but I've, yeah, got, yeah. I've got questions. <laughs> go, go. No, go ahead. Finish that. What'd you, uh... yeah, no. So I was, uh, yeah. So, yeah, it just kind of got me thinking. That's the reason I wanted to talk about it is because it's a sort of one of the places that not many people have been to in terms of it's not really a particularly touristy destination. It's a place that I've been to loads and seen it change so drastically. Um, and, yeah, it's it's just... I can't... It's got some really odd quirks to it. So because everything's gone up so quickly because so much money's been spent on elements of the infrastructure the bizarre thing about it is is because oil is so you know they've got more more oil in bahrain than anywhere else in the world you can fill up fill up a car or a truck from empty for about two pounds two pound fifty it's still really cheap and it used it used to be free it used to be almost like a you know like water you would go to a petrol station you just fill up um, so you, it's really easy to get that. But that means there's no public transport at all because nobody sees the need for it. So you've got this like city, um, like Manama, and there's no transport network at all. Everyone drives everywhere because there's no need to. But it's all really, really hot during the summer, like so hot you wouldn't want to leave the house. Yeah. Um, but it has to kind of cope with that. So you'd think, like in a place like that, they would have the foresight, because it's all modern and it's all been built in the last sort of, 20, 30 years, they would have the foresight to make uh, big parts of the city accessible purely through like air-conditioned walkways, like places like Minneapolis have, like the Skywalk, where you can get away from the winter by walking through downtown, you know, above the street level. They don't have anything like that. It's just driving around. But all these buildings are kind of built up, but all the land's kind of... Um, is like sold in like these little blocks, which means that there's no, you know, the government doesn't put any money at all into like the infrastructure that surrounds these resorts and these buildings. So like we stayed in like a five star hotel, which is a bit, bit of a tired hotel, um, with 
plenty of problems. It's the sort of place that was probably built on a massive government grant. And since then, they've had, you know, they don't get enough footfall to actually, you know, keep the money in enough to, to properly upgrade it. So it was a, not really up to scratch. And there's a lot of that in a place like Bahrain because they've got just, there seems to be like more hotels in a place like Bahrain than there isn't anywhere else on the planet. It just seems to just survive on people going there and staying there, you know, overnight. Um, but, like the car park, you've got a five-star hotel, which you'd expect to be like a palace. You know, inside it looks very palatial. It's got nice restaurant, nothing like that. But the moment you walk out the door, the car park is just this barren sort of, it looks like a quarry. Like you just park your car in a dipped um, wreckage, basically, outside the front of it. There's no bays. There's no tarmac. It's just you know loads of rocks and boulders scattered all over the place and beer bottles everywhere and like it's just like a really untidy mess and there's no official car park so you just park in the middle of nowhere and there's so much that there's no like walkways between a lot of buildings because they've never been built and so as a pedestrian there's almost you know you're having to climb over armco barriers to get to places because you know all people do is just get in the car drive to a place stop right outside it Usually there isn't a place to officially stop aside from the shopping malls. And you just pull up, get out and walk in. Um, so aside from that, people just spend their time, I guess, going to bars and restaurants and the occasional cinema and stuff like that. Or they go out to these food trucks in the middle of the desert and just take their car out to the desert and in um, at night. And they'll sit outside in the darkness in the middle of the desert when it's cooler. And socialise like that. So you see a lot of that on the side of the road when you're driving down the motorway. You can see like groups of people sitting in the middle of nowhere, just like socialising on like a Friday night because there isn't much else to do. But, it, but for that reason, it's just kind of an interesting place because it's it's so shielded from everywhere else that you kind of wonder what what is it like to grow up in a place like this and this be your view of the world and this be your you know everything you've ever known it must be so overwhelming to like go from a place like bahrain to i don't know somewhere like shanghai or new york or or, or even somewhere well, or somewhere like italy which has got so much tradition and culture and history and you know is so just so radically different so so yeah what what questions have you got well <clears throat> i answered a few of them by looking up a wikipedia page while you were talking um but so i i was wondering I guess Bahrain's an emirate, which it is. It's the kingdom of Bahrain. Uh, the king is Hamad bin Issa al-Khalifa. And mm-hmm. then uh, the other question I had, you answered the drinking question. That's interesting. Um, and it looks like it's the third smallest island nation in Asia after the Maldives and Singapore. Uh, one point, Almost 1.9 million people live on 290 square miles or 760 square kilometers. Uh, That's insane. And another question I had, which I know that places like Saudi Arabia and Qatar and the UAE are like this, is that is the majority actually uh, Bahrainian Arabs. And actually Bahrain, it looks like as of 2020 was, you know, like places like the UAE, the minority Arabs ruled the country. Um, Bahrain's 53% Arab, but it's 43% Asian, which I would guess are probably a lot of Indians, like in other migrant uh, workers. Yeah, migrant workers, or in the you know that's that's a common thing in the um, in those oil-rich Gulf nations uh, to have migrant workers make up a large mm-hmm. portion or the majority of the population. But interestingly enough, 
it says that there's 1.1% of the population, 1.1% uh, of the population is North American, and then almost 1% is Europeans. So that's interesting. And then the other point but that it I feels want to... like more. It feels no, like they're... more because everyone speaks English. Well, it has so to be. It's got, tourists, it's got loads right? of. It's got. Sorry? It has to be tourists. Yeah, there are tourists, but there isn't really a lot to go there for. I mean, it's a it's a compulsory second language for everybody, English and Bahrain. So they're taught it at a young age. There's plenty of Western places to eat and drink, but it's it's got that American export vibe, like a place like um, a bit, bit of Australia about it, in a sense that a lot of people drive American cars, um, like muscle cars and big trucks and stuff like that. And, and, and it's got all the sort of, you know, North American chain restaurants have suddenly arrived. Mm. And so it's got this kind of weird, fake, Westworld version of America vibe to it, where everything's kind of not quite right. It's, it's, it, that, that kind of makes it really strange. And because they don't have, like, culture and traditions that date back as long as our countries do, you'll do stuff like you'll order, like, a, you know, you go to a hotel restaurant and you'll order, like, a pasta dish. And they'll serve you, you know, with ketchup and brown sauce next to it because they just assume you have everything, not because they understand it. It's just serve you stuff they believe you want to have, which is a really <laughs> weird way of doing it. Normally, in a country, aside from you know really multicultural places like UK where people sell their own cuisine, usually people you know they'll, you'll go to a place and and they have their own food and they you know almost teach you about what they like to eat whereas in the in a lot of the middle east it's the opposite there's not that much in terms of you know or it's not easy to find like you know localized cultural cuisine so instead they serve you western food but their take of it and so like you'll have breakfast in the morning and it'll be like a really weird mix of like you know it'll say like a full english breakfast and it'll be like sausage and bacon and hash browns and stuff but then it'll be like um refried barbecue beans and then like chicken wings or something in the middle of it and you go really and they'll be like it's what you want in it <laughs> like, okay fair enough mm, i'll so eat chicken wings a, for that... breakfast any day yeah well, exactly well they got it right in that sense but yeah um, no, it's, it's it's odd like that but there aren't as many expats as, as there appears to be because i think there are a lot of the time the people who have the money like a lot of the expats who go over there like from the uk or the us or europe to like work in the financial districts and stuff. They're the ones out with all the money, spending it at bars and restaurants and out partying and stuff like that and um, you know, using, you know, what facilities there are there. Whereas a lot of really poor people and people who like the migrant workers or whatever are not the sort of people that will spend a lot of time out outdoors when they're not working. So it comes across, aside from being a really young country where you just don't see any old people, there just almost aren't any old people in Bahrain. Aside from that, it's it's a place that you go to and, you know, it, it feels like, it does feel a bit like Westworld, like, a, <laughs> in a way. Um, well, one thing I did know about Bahrain is there's a small but influential Christian uh, minority, which I found to be interesting. 12% of the population is Christian and dates back to looks like the 12th century, but there's a lot of expatriate Christians there as well. Um, I find that interesting with it being in the middle of the Persian Gulf that there's still such a strong and prominent Christian <clears throat> presence there with it being a majority Muslim country. 
um, you know, most Christians in the Middle East outside of Lebanon and Israel and Egypt, I guess, to an extent are gone. You know, the, the Syrian Christians, the Turkish Christians, the Iraqi Christians, the Iranian Christians, they're all they're all pretty much gone now. I mean, there, there's some, but not like there used to be even just a few decades ago. So that to me is interesting looking at looking at the Wikipedia page. Um, another thing that sticks out to me is they're 149th in population, but they're sixth in population density. That makes, that makes sense. Um, per capita GDP is 23rd. So it's a very rich country, of course. And then, and actually at 23rd, it probably ranks, um, does it rank above the United States? No, United States is ninth, but it's actually it actually has a higher GDP than the United Kingdom, Finland, Canada, and France, um, which is very interesting to think about. And then it says water negligible, <laughs> so <laughs> that's not good, is it? Um, it says Bahrain was one of the <laughs> earliest areas to be influenced by Islam. And by Muhammad in 628 AD, Bahrain was ruled by the Portuguese Empire from 1521 until 1602 when they were expelled by the Shah. But then, dun dun dun, the British in the 1800s uh, took over Bahrain as a protectorate, and it was a British protectorate, or better known, a colony, until 1971, and then it became its own free country. So there you go, Stephen. The British have snuck up again on us. Most <laughs> perfidious. The, the weird thing, there was some weird. I mean, the, it's just it has a different vibe to a lot of the other parts of the Middle East that I've been to. There's some weird stuff about the way it is in terms of it being liberal. Like you can, you can have like you can't be like a you can't have like same sex marriage out there. But you can have you can have been like effectively a relationship, and um, you know it's not illegal to have same sex sexual activity, and it's and it's one of the it was one of the first places in the region to actually liberate that. So I think it's like the seventies, I think it was that they came out and said, "Oh, you can basically you can't marry each other, but you know if same sex relationships are fine, sort of thing." It's really like it's got some. It does certainly does. It's certainly not like neighboring Saudi Arabia in terms of it being really. Or you get killed. A... Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, not even just that. Just it's it's not quite as. What's the word I'm looking for? I'll kick myself, but it just doesn't. It doesn't have the feel of an authoritarian regime, like right. some of these places do. Well, Oman I... certainly does. Amans yeah. like a don't get out your car type place. But um Yeah. It's, you pick the heck of a time to go to the Middle East mm. with all that's going on on the other side of Saudi Arabia, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You Did wouldn't you fly know what's going over on. Israel? Surely you didn't fly over Israeli airspace. Uh no, you don't need to. You don't need to. It's actually a really quick flight. It's one of these places that feels a lot further away than it is. It's only like six hours from London, direct. It's not a long flight at all. It's closer than Charlotte. Um, exactly, yeah. No, but but it's one of those, and it's only three hours ahead in time zone. So it's like not a really 
yeah, it's not crazy, like eight or nine hours difference. So you're just completely disorientated the whole time. It's just it's just enough of a time difference that it kind of messes your sleep pattern enough to make you annoyed. Yeah. But yeah, that's my uh, topic about Bahrain. That's uh, I've been there now enough times to know it like the back of my hand. Well, even though it changes every time I land. But yeah. <laughs> what a, what a perplexing place to go. Um, it's very nuanced to say the least. I, I would say, and I don't know if I'll ever be in Bahrain. I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to it, but I'm, not, I'm in no, no hurry to go. Yeah, no. I was thinking it's the sort of place. I was saying this to my boss that when we were walking along this decimated car park to find our car one night, um, is it's the sort of place that if they invested early on and made it the, the Disneyland hub of the Middle East. The whole country would be a completely different place because you can tell that they're trying to attract the tourists. So they've put in all the facilities to accommodate tourists, but there's n- literally unless you're going for racing, because there's just nothing else there aside from shopping malls and stuff like that. It's not like it's a place like Abu Dhabi. They've got loads of facilities, loads of massive water parks, Ferrari World, but big museums and attractions that that are kind of there so that if you go for a bit of winter sun you've also got these other places to go Bahrain really hasn't got a lot to see but if they'd have said right we'll give you you know 15 billion quid Disney Disney, and you can put Disney World Middle East and we'll have it here because it's central in the Middle East and you can and we can make the mass we can make the whole island basically Orlando but in the Middle East the whole place would be so busy because that whole region doesn't have anything like that. And you think of you think of a place like Orlando, which exists primarily because of that. And you know, Disneyland Paris is so big, and the amount of tourists that go. You know, if, if you put a Disneyland in a place like Bahrain, it would be on. It would put it on the map as a country. It really would. It needs something like that because at some point it's going to go bang, and the oil's not going to be an export anymore, and all of a sudden it's going to implode because there's nothing else there. So I wonder what their strategy is going to be in the coming decades to kind of, you know, make it a sustainable place so that, you know, if it isn't this massive oil giant anymore, um, you know, that it has the infrastructure and, you know, enough there for, to kind of keep people coming back and make it a viable place to live. Because right now it just doesn't really feel like it. It's just, it's just a really odd, odd place, pretty barren. Yeah. Um I guess the uh those with the oil money will laugh all the way to the bank. Um but for now. I mean it makes you wonder. There was somebody on Joe Rogan I saw a clip of the interview recently that you know, he said like the British Empire is still here, it just became a bank, you know, the they gave the places and the people their independence, but essentially the British Empire formed into a bank and you know, London's a financial, global financial hub as a result. So makes you wonder, like, is Bahrain going to be a financial hub of the Middle East? Or, I mean, it already is, but is that the future once the oil is gone? Maybe, maybe. But then are, are these Western banks going to want to have, going to have a need to be out there and have loads of expats living out there? That's but true. They will. That's true. We'll see. We will see. So we top might. three, bottom three time. Yeah, yeah. These, this will be a little bit more detailed discussion than normal top three, bottom three. But 
your dad, uh, Mr. Guy Kilby um, of uh, uh, Woodford Green, England, has submitted a top three pranks you've pulled and bottom three pranks that have been pulled on you. Well, uh, Mr. Kilby, the elder, you are in good luck with me, good sir, because I am a bit of a prankster and have been known to pull some pranks on people throughout the years. Um, and <laughs> the three that came to mind had to narrow this one down. Uh, one of the funniest things I ever did, and it wasn't necessarily funny because of the prank itself, but as a result of the prank was uh, the time. And, and we still laugh about this to this day. It was the time um, when I was at Roehampton studying abroad and my friend, Amanda, who's from New York, um, she and her friend Sydney, who's also one of my good friends, uh, had had gone out. Sydney was visiting uh, Amanda. Um, she didn't study abroad with us. She was just visiting, and they had gone out on the town for a night. And they, I, I didn't go out that night. I don't know what I was doing, but me and uh, this other guy and I, Ed, we got the bright idea that we were gonna like while they were gone, take Amanda's bed and put it in the living room, and so. <laughs> So she would walk, you know, come back late at night after drinking or whatever, and then like open her door and see there was no bed. <laughs> so sure enough, we moved it to the living room, shut the living room door, and then shut her bedroom door. Well, two or three o'clock that morning, we hear screaming, you know, wakes everybody up, like what's going on, blah, blah, blah. Well, I fall back asleep because I, I, you know, fall, fell back asleep grinning to myself laughing because I knew what was going on. And the next, next day, you know, she's like, who the F um, moved my bed? It took us half an hour to find it. Like, we thought we'd been robbed, blah, blah, blah. I, when we got back, I got it. Sydney and I got into a fist fight. We started beating each other up because I thought that she did it and she started fighting back. <laughs> all, because, all because of me. Uh, she's still... <laughs> She still she still holds that to me to this day. But that that was one of my finer pranks, if I do say so myself. Um, another good one, actually, I've pulled two good pranks on Brian uh, over the years. Both of these were back in college at ETSU, and I'll just morph these two together um, because it is Brian. And the first time, um, so Brian and I had this friend named Logan Ellswick. Um, he was kind of different. He, you know, kind of a loner in a way, really good dude. I've fallen out of touch with him. Brian has too. But anyways, we used to run around with him in college. And Logan, actually, well, I told the story about Logan's dad in West Virginia last episode. But anyways, Logan, Logan was a prankster too. And I'll get to that in a minute. But um, Logan was a good looking guy. He was, you know, athletic, dark hair, dark skin, uh, not a ladies man, but the ladies all liked him. Well, we had a class with this one girl that we just could not stand. And this girl used to freak Logan out. She, she wasn't very good looking. Um, I'm not going to mention her name. Not, not that it matters. Um, but I won't mention her name. And she, um, <clears throat> was obsessed with him and she would like try to get him to come over to study with her all the time. And then, like, one time, like, we finally did, and uh, he made me go with him because he had – we had, like, a project or something to do in a group, and she was in our group, believe it or not. Well, this whole time, she's, like, 
like he's sitting at a bar stool like on his laptop and she comes up behind him and like puts her arms around him and starts typing and like look let me let me show you how to do that logan and like this poor girl would like breathe really heavily and um her and i hate to say it but her breath smelled really bad too. <laughs> and um he was just freaked out by her well she had my phone number and thank goodness she wasn't interested in me um so anyways like after a certain amount of time, Logan's just trying to avoid her. And this girl's texting me. She's like, Hey, uh, what's Logan's cell number? I've got to ask him a question. And I'm like, Hmm, Logan does not want me to give her number or his number to her. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm going to give her Brian's number. And, and so I said, here you go. And gave her Brian's number. And so sure enough, she starts texting, Hey Logan, it's so-and-so from uh, Proven Stats. And then Brian, of course, completely unaware of this situation, says, uh, no, this is Brian. And then she's like, no, Logan, stop joking around. Uh, it's, it's me. I got, I got to ask you a question about our exam. And then Brian replies back, no, I told you, this is Brian Connor. I don't think you have the right number. <laughs> <laughs> and this went on for like a couple of days, apparently. And then I felt bad and gave her Logan's number. Um, but anyways, that, that was a fun little, little prank. Um, and then the last, well, that the other Brian prank, which this one over a decade later still has ramifications to this day, is that one time I decided it would be a funny idea to sign Brian's parents up for Scientology. And <laughs> <laughs> that's that is so cruel because they'll never leave you alone. No, they don't. They call, they and they, they call you and then they send you like newsletter pamphlets and um like stuff in the mail and i'm pretty sure that to this day brian's parents still get scientology newsletters in the mail <laughs> all because oh of me God. like back in 2012 signed them up to receive that <laughs> so oh that God. was very that was very nice and then the the last thing was uh this one friend that i had um that we had that was in our friend group and he was you know sort of a goofy guy easy to pick on um, cause like, you know, he just, his reaction would, um, <clears throat> would always be the funniest thing. Well, somebody told me that they had signed a friend up for hover round, which do you know what hover round is? Is that a thing in the UK or? I don't think so. No. So hover round are like the motor scooters that like elderly people or bigger people ride on. You oh know, like yeah. Around. And it's like a hover rounds the company. So I decided it'd be really funny to sign this guy up for hover round. And, um, you know, I signed him up like on their website, filled out like all his information. Sure enough, within like five minutes, they're like calling and emailing and texting him. And then they send like this big packet in the mail about all their hover round products. You know, you can get like the, the bare bones hover round or you can get the Cadillac hover round or whatever. And anyways, five minutes like well, probably within seconds after he had been contacted by hover round, he sends out this group text message in all caps. And this, this is just why it was so much fun to prank this guy. Um, he sends out this group, me group message to like eight of us in all caps, which one of you mother effers signed me up for hover round? 
And, you know, people start saying, what me, what me, what me. And then, of course, like, I think I was like on, on, a, on the boat, like with my parents that day or something. And I said, oh, yeah, what me? I'm on the lake. I don't know what you're talking about. And then sure enough, he eventually found out it was me that did it. <laughs> and we all had a good laugh about that one in the end. But uh, but yeah, yeah, those are some some harmless, semi-harmless pranks um, that I've pulled pulled over the years. I have others that really can't be mentioned on a <clears throat> clean podcast, but I'll I'll leave that to the listeners' imaginations. Um, what are your top three pranks you pulled on people? Really hard this one because I I generally don't pull pranks on people. Like I've had instances where I've said something to somebody, like you know, like when it comes to like giving someone a gift or whatever, and made it out like I haven't done something, and then surprised people a few times. But I was never really a prankster. The only one I can think about was what, uh, at work a few years back. Um, one of the long-standing journalists who works for a, a rival publication, so, so the one that I principally work for, um, we managed to... So we went to south of France uh, for a test weekend. And I can't remember what it was, but there was something kicking off in France. Uh, it might have been just after the... Do you remember the, the terrorist attacks in Paris? The Bataclan? Yeah. I yeah. I think it was, it would have been just after that. We were in the south of France, and the country still felt a little bit different because that had just happened and people were still processing it. Um, and we convinced our American colleague, um, who'd never been to that part of France before for a race, um, that there was a new rule that had come in for people who lived outside of um, the EU that you needed an, an exit visa to leave the country um, as part of them processing, clamping down on who was coming in and coming out. And he panicked. And he was like, really? Oh, no, my God. What, what do you... And we were like, oh, it's okay. What you've got to do is um, there's, the, there's a consulate you can visit in Paris and you can get one on short notice. Because clearly you're leaving in two days, um, and you know you need to get one done quickly. So if you're going to do it, you've got to go to the consulate in Paris at this point because it's probably too late for you to probably get it all processed in time if you're going to do it the standard way. Um, and so he's panicking um, because he's you know he's been sent from America to cover this race, um, and he's going to miss the race. And uh, we managed to quietly tell our other colleagues in the press room who were close enough by to not say anything just to kind of let him believe it because he just fell for it instantly and he was researching some stuff online couldn't find anything about it and we convinced the the lady on the the desk at the press room the local lady to um to to confirm that it was real because she was local so he went up and asked her and she was like no no it is a thing now um here's some details you can go and find go to this address in paris blah, blah, blah. and we let him leave the circuit before we told him. So this guy was planning to drive from Marseille, pretty much, to Paris, which is like an entire day's drive and miss his whole work thing to turn up at a consulate to ask for something that wasn't there. <laughs> and the whole place was in hysterics. And we gave it like 15 minutes, so we let him leave the press from car park. We let him leave the circuit. And uh, only then did we give him a call and say, come back, mate, come on. 
come on, we got you, <laughs> sort of thing. He was so mad. He was so mad. But it was great, and we've pulled <laughs> plenty of other stunts on him since then, a couple of which I can't. Um, I probably can't repeat on here. But uh, that's probably it, and I've never really been the mastermind of a prank like that. Um, I'm, I'll play along. Uh, but that's kind of the only thing that sticks out. And in terms of the other side of things, pranks play, pulled on us. What your top three? I've only got one that I can think of. I haven't really been ever properly. Pr- I feel like it's more of an American thing being like punked than it is yeah. over here. I don't think people really do it, even at school level. There might be the odd time that people did something stupid to you at school, but I never really felt like I got pranked or completely bamboozled at any point into something so maybe it's more of an american thing you uh you know you, you take and you receive or you give and you receive pranks are like gifts um one time you know like i've probably mentioned before I, I got to go to europe several times when i was in middle school and high school with my with my dad's mom um and that's a whole different story of why that got to happen but uh i think we went with a tour group from people with people from our area, which was fun. And it was all like older people and professors. Cause it was through a college and then like college students. And I was like 13, 14, 15 when I did this or, you know, middle school, high school age. I think the last time I was maybe 16 or 17, but anyways, like one year we did this trip to Spain and we were on this charter bus and I had fallen asleep on the charter bus and you know like you're on this bus for hours because you're just driving around like the whole country like from madrid to uh cordoba to you know uh, seville like you know it's hours between those places whatever well I, i fell asleep and a bunch of these people thought it would be really funny to like uh like uh i guess like put lipstick all over me while i was sleeping and so they like they put like lipstick all over like my hands and like my face and then they like tied like all these things to like my wrists and stuff and I like woke up and I was like looking at my hands and I'm like wait like why do I have all this stuff on me what happened and there's like people laughing and taking pictures and stuff I don't know where those pictures are I mean this this was before smartphones really so um probably in somebody's photo album somewhere but that was kind of funny um you know, one thing never got really pranked or anything in school, but in Boy Scouts, we used to prank. And it was always the older Scouts that pranked the younger Scouts. Because, you know, you start Boy Scouts when you're 10 or 11 and then finish by the time you're around 18. So you, you're kind of mixed in, you know, as a kid with like some near adults, which is kind of, you know, risky in itself. But um, in 2005, we went to the national boy scout jamboree which was this event with like tens and tens of thousands of scouts and people from around the uh united states and actually president bush george w bush spoke at this event and so i saw george bush speak which was really cool to see a president speak and uh it was like a big thing it was at a military base in northern virginia near washington dc it's it was fort ap hill at the time they've renamed it since but um on the way back again maybe it's just me on charter buses or something but we're on the way back after this like 10 day trip thing 
and you know it's like an eight hour drive back home from from the jamboree and i i i was like maybe 11 and i had diarrhea really bad because like we had (laughs) we had had camped you know for like um for like 10 days and eating like mres and just like garbage food and whatever and we had probably stopped and had like fast food on the way home after not eating anything much else for the rest of the day for for 10 days and anyways like i had diarrhea and uh you know the on charter buses or coaches whatever you call them there's like that one bathroom in the back which is sort of like an airplane um bathroom and anyways like i i had to go like you know i'm not afraid to admit it we all have diarrhea and i had to go and anyways like i went and then apparently like it wasn't great um and all the older scouts who were sitting in the back of the bus, because they they were the cool guys, you know, were not very happy with me. So they got this idea that they would all try to just barricade the door and keep me in there. <laughs> and that worked for about a minute. But like, luckily, you know, I was a pretty big kid. And so I, I think I just dropped my shoulder eventually and just plowed my way out through. And like, I was pretty mad about it. But like, I wasn't about to like fight 10 people that were four to five years older than me. Um, but then anyways, like when we stopped at like a rest area, I think one of those guys felt pretty bad for me and he, he bought me like a modium to take. <laughs> so <laughs> to help. And Oh God, that, that's an embarrassing story, but you know, you know what? Like I've pranked people and um, people have pranked me uh, such as life. Right. Uh, the last one. And here he is again, Logan Ellswick, as I mentioned when I was talking about a prank, I pulled Logan was a prankster himself and we would, we would do all kinds of stupid stuff together. We would like go egg things and, you know, uh, do some other things that I'm not going to repeat on this podcast, but uh, Logan liked to pull pranks on anybody, including me. Um, and I had at ETSU, I had this history class on, it was like Wednesday nights from like maybe five to 8 PM. And it was a history of East Asia class. It was a really good class, great professor, but it was just that kind of like weird class where it was like at this really odd hour. And most of the other people were not in class, you know, from five to 8 PM on a Wednesday night. Well, Logan, I guess was pretty bored. And he and a bunch of our other friends um, decided that they would go mess with me um, during this, which we, we would do this to each other, you know. Um, we, we would take turns, so to speak. But uh, there was this song from an SNL skit that I hated, and he loved it. He thought it was the funniest song he's ever heard. And you probably know it, but it's, that, it's the Captain Jack Sparrow song, like the, this is the tale of Captain Jack Sparrow. Do you remember that skit from Saturday Night Live? yeah. I think vaguely, yeah. And I hated that song, and he would play it all the time, and he knew that it irritated me. Well, anyways, like, and this happened more than once. This happened to the point, well, I'll get to it, but anyways, like, you know, we're sitting in this History of East Asia class, and the door was, like, slightly cracked um, to go out to the hallway, and, you know, the professor's talking about the Ming dynasty or Korean history or something, whatever. And all of a sudden, like, you just hear this song start blaring <laughs> through the classroom. <laughs> and everybody turns and looks all at once. And you see this hand with, like, an iPhone sticking through the crack of the door. And, like, it's just that song playing. 
And then all of a sudden you see the hand just jerk back through the door. And then you hear somebody running down the hallway. <laughs> and and, and I, I'm just sitting there rolling my eyes like, God, like you got to be kidding me. And everybody's like, who was that? Who was that? Well, anyways, like this happened like three or four times in a row. And eventually people were like, oh, God, it's that guy again. Lock the door, you know, or whatever. And I never told anybody that I had class with um, that um, that 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 was, you know, a prank being pulled on me. I was so embarrassed over it and so annoyed. But, you know, looking back on it 10 years over 10 years later, it was pretty funny and pretty harmless. too. <laughs> but <laughs> that was a good one. Um all right. Do you have any pranks that were pulled on you, or are you... the the only one that that really comes to mind is um, I was on a tr- trip to France, um, and I remember uh, I was in like a dormitory with probably about seven or eight other, other kids, and it was one of those school trips where everyone was acting up and, and it was just a massive battle between the teachers and, and us to, you know, working out how much you could get away with and how late you could stay up and doing stupid stuff. And one night, um, it was one of those also where you were too scared to go to sleep because you knew that I knew that the people in the room that I was sharing it with were just going to do something stupid. And of course they did. And so I ended up getting, I ended up getting in trouble because, um, I got really angry because <laughs> during the night they'd got up in the middle of the night. A few of the guys in this big you know, room that we were staying in got a tube of toothpaste, um, and sprayed it all over my hand, which was obviously you know down you know by my side, and put loads of toothpaste up my nose while I was sleeping, and I wasn't really aware of it, and so it meant that I was I was in my sleep like trying to wipe it and I was like wiping it all over myself whatever and I just looked completely ridiculous and I woke up going what on earth is all this everywhere with like pretty much an entire tube of toothpaste all over me Um, and I got so mad and this I probably would have been about 12 or 13 and the teachers obviously would um in rooms next door ever heard the commotion of me getting really angry and um yeah, opened the door and uh, yeah, had a go at me for too loud. And there's me standing there with the <laughs> I remember that. Um, but aside from that, nothing else really um, sort of comes to mind. I've never pulled a prank on you. I don't think so. I don't think so. Even at, even in uni days, um, I don't I don't remember you pranking me. You were always my my sidekick so uh my counterpart I, I you can't do that to your your uh your sidekick you know <laughs> no exactly exactly so so there we are that brings us to the end of the episode doesn't it daniel wow yeah yeah it's gonna be a 95 plus minute episode so we uh you've got to get traveling as well soon haven't you wow yeah i'm getting picked up in an hour um wow there uh, you go sir well it's been an absolute pleasure and and uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Um, we, we, as Daniel said earlier, we appreciate it. So keep keep contacting us. Suggest topics. Suggest top three, bottom three. Um, send us, you know, thoughts, comments, concerns, anything. You know, we'll always bring it up. So it's um, thanks for listening, everybody. 
And I've got to say, Daniel, all the best for your travels this weekend. I'm I'm very jealous. I wish um, you were coming. I know, but there will be times in the future, and I hope you have a fantastic time, and, and I'm looking forward already to, to the next podcast where you can tell us what it was all like. Yeah, yeah, thank you, and I am too, and glad you're back home and bloody safe and sound, and we will uh, we'll talk soon, and as Stephen said, thanks everybody for listening to the, another episode of our podcast. We, we appreciate you, and uh, we'll see you guys soon. Stephen, take care, bud. Yes, you take care, Daniel. Thanks to everybody, and uh, we'll catch you in two weeks' time. All right. See you.